All right, how many of you, and welcome by the way, I'm glad you're here, maybe first time here, thanks for coming, been coming a few times, welcome. And how many of you experienced some difficulty this week on Thursday and Friday driving somewhere? Okay, anybody want to know who to blame? I, I understand that Kiriana Sackett prayed for this. Is that right, Kiriana? So if you want someone to stone with the snowball after services, you'd seek her out. She's the one who played keyboard. I'll be happy to hold her for you. Actually, how many of you prayed for it too? I did. I'll confess. I, I loved it. It was fun. It's, it is nice to come to church, though, and not have a huge uh, epic weather event. It's been like the last four weeks. It's been tough to get here, so I'm glad it's actually sunny outside and uh, nice. You want to take your Bible? We're going to be in this today. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians 5 eventually, so you can turn there now and get a jump start on finding it. You want to take your worship folder, that's great too because there's a place in there you can take notes or just track along with the message however you want. I just finished a great book called Start With Why. So talking really about businesses more than anything, but the author was comparing businesses that have done really well, maybe started small and just exploded with growth. Companies like, uh, like Starbucks, Nike, Dell, Microsoft, Apple, Walmart. They started small, but they went huge and they... They just saw this phenomenal wealth created, changed the way we do things. In some ways, they created things that we never knew existed before and didn't even know we needed them until Apple created it. Now I've got to have it. And they just did this all. One of the biggest reasons the author of Start With Why says that they were so successful is they had a clear and compelling sense of their mission, their purpose, usually embodied in that founding person who started the company and he had a vision of how the world could be and should be, and so he lived it out. And the way that he changed the world was through his company or what they produced. You think about Starbucks, Howard Schultz. Uh, he's often quoted as taking Starbucks from this little coffee bean company to being what it is now. He's often quoted as saying, Starbucks represents something beyond a cup of coffee. I don't know if you've ever heard him say that. Starbucks is not really, that's what they do, but that's not why they do it. His whole dream was to create community and to create an experience that's his why. That's his picture of the world, creating community. Coffee was just a means to an end. Uh, Microsoft, Bill Gates, often you talk about, it and maybe you've heard the quote, a computer on every desktop. You know, Microsoft eventually got into software more than anything, but his view was, I can do something good in the world through computers. Now, it wasn't to create computers or software. Bill Gates was and still is all about making the world a better place, and he does it now through philanthropy, but it started making the world a better place through computers putting the tools in every people, everybody's hands, not just a few people, but everybody having the tools to make the world a better place. Uh, Michael Dell, again, using computers, but his why is to enable human potential. Computers were just a means to an end. That was the what, but the why was to make the world a better place again. You know, something about like Apple, Microsoft, even Walmart, some of these companies did well, but somewhere along the way, if you've kind of watched, they lost track of why they existed, and they kind of suffered for it great example that'd be Walmart as long as Sam Walton was alive he had a view of the world and how he wanted to make it a better place was just to treat people well Walmart really started not because Sam Walton wanted to provide cheaper stuff but because he wanted to make the world a better place and do that through making things affordable for people treating his employees well there was a time when people actually wanted Walmart to come to their town then Sam Walton passed away it went to the next generation of leadership and they mistook their why for their what. And the next generation thought the, the why of Walmart is to offer cheap stuff. That's not why they existed. And so that's why you have towns that don't want Walmart coming. Now, that's why you have so many stories about Walmart employees being treated so horribly. They took what, what they did, cheap stuff, and they made that their why. Big mistake. 
classic example of an organization that got their why and their what mixed up and lost their focus was a society that was started over 300 years ago on Nantucket Island. It's called the Massachusetts Humane Society. The people on Nantucket Island were deeply disturbed by the fact so many people were dying in shipwrecks off their shore, off the coast. So they're like, we got to do something about this. So 300 years ago, a volunteer group said, we're going to change this. They started scanning the horizon, scouring the waters to watch for shipwrecks. And as soon as there was something that someone was in distress, they would go all out and they would try to rescue as many people as they could. They erected huts on the shore so that there could be a volunteer there 24-7 watching the horizon, making sure no one was in trouble. They would send the call out when people were out in distress in the ocean and everybody would come from the town and they would all come out there and try to go and rescue as many people as they could. Now, the National Coast Guard, the United States Coast Guard, eventually adopt a, adopted a slogan that really originated here in the Massachusetts Humane Society. They used to say to each other, you don't have to come back. You have to go out, but you don't have to come back. And it really embodied their, their view and their vision of the world is we are here and we exist to save people. And you've got to go out and you've got to at least try. You may not come back, but it was a great campaign slogan, a great recruiting slogan. And so they would say that to each other and they would scan the water. But something happened over time. The Coast Guard developed. They worked hand-in-hand hand for a while, but eventually the Humane Society said, you know what, you guys are the professionals. You guys have been paid to do this. You're, you're trained to do this. You've got the right equipment. We're going to step back and let you do the search and rescue. We'll support you. We'll applaud you, but we're going to let the United States Coast Guard do their job, and the Humane Society will just step back. Now, 300 years later, they could not stand to disband. They forgot their why they existed, but they still continue to meet once a year in Boston. They get together for banquets. They give honors and awards to each other. When's the last time they actually went out and rescued somebody? They stopped scanning the waters. They stopped looking for people to save. They stopped saying to each other, you don't have to come back. They lost their sense of purpose. It happens to businesses. It happens to organizations. Man, it even happens to churches. It's a sad thing when churches forget why they exist, but it happens all the time. Do you know, and this is a sad statistic, but it's true, in America last year, over half the churches in America did not add a single person to their church by conversion. So many churches closing, it's like the statistic is like nine churches a day close in the United States. And in large part, it's because churches forgot why they existed. They, they replaced the what they do with the why they do it. Churches lose their effectiveness when they forget their purpose. But let me ask you a question. Is God still in the life-saving business? Did he ever like decide to get out of that because the profit margin was just too small? Is God like done saving souls? No. And so neither can we be. Our church can never forget the fact that we are here to do something so much more important than what Apple or Starbucks or Nike does. We're not here just making great products. We're not here just to enjoy our time together. We're not here just to build buildings and to enjoy each other's company. We are here with a specific mission. And God has not ever taken that away from us. We're here to scan and look for people who are lost and bring them into God. You know, I, when we remember why we're here and when we fully embrace the why our churches exist, it's going to make a huge impact. And the ripples from that are going to continue not only for years to come, but the ripples will be in eternity. I have to ask a question. Will there be people in heaven because of what we do together? I hope so. In fact, I think it's safe to say there are already people in heaven because of what our church has done and is doing. So let me just ask you a question because I don't ever want us to get off track on this. Do you know why Connection Christian Church exists? Could you tell somebody in one sentence why we're here? 
Could you give that little elevator speech that says, here's what my church exists to do? Let me put it to you this way. Here's how we say it here at Connection, and, and I'll give you a little cheat sheet. It's on the front of your bulletin. Connection Christian Church, we exist to connect people to God and to each other through Jesus Christ. That's how we say it here. Other churches may say it differently, but it boils down to the same thing. We are here to scan and look for people who are lost and far from God. That's why God put us here as a church. That's our why. We're here to connect people to God and to each other through Jesus Christ. Now, if you've got your Bible, you can turn to 2 Corinthians 5. Or if you've already got there, we're going to read this. I'm actually going to read this out of the message paraphrase or message translation. So it may sound a little bit different than what you read in your Bible. This will be on the screen as well so you can follow along. And this is what the Apostle Paul wrote to his friends in the Corinthian church. He told them, God put the world square with himself through Christ, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. And then God has given us, that would include us here today, given us the task of telling everyone what he's doing. We are Christ's representatives. We're his ambassadors. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. Now we're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already become friends with you. And if you go on, Paul goes on to tell them the way that God has made things right between himself and man is through Jesus Christ. He offered him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God. Now, can you pull that verse up there again? Or is it already still up there? Do you see that phrase in there? God uses us to persuade men and women. In the New International Version, it says, we are therefore Christ's ambassador speaking on God's behalf. Which is, if you think about it, how scary is that? That God trusts people like us to hold the life-saving message of Jesus Christ. But that's why we're here. God says, I have invited you into my family. You now belong. I'm not mad at you. I love you. I have forgiven your sins. I've given you a clean start through Jesus Christ. It's all gone. Past, present, future. It's all gone. Now, now that you're part of my family, I want you to turn around and I want you to look for those other people who are lost. I don't want you to forget that's why you're here. I don't want you to forget saying to each other, this is why we're here. We speak on Christ's behalf. It's an awesome responsibility that God trusts us with. We are inviting people to reconnect with God. There's something that happened in Australia in 2010. I think it's just a perfect illustration or analogy of what we do here as a church. Uh, it was in Glenelg, Australia in November 2010. There was a wedding taking place. It's on the coast. So it's a beautiful place. And oftentimes when people get married in Glenelg, they would go out to the Glenelg Jutty. It's a, it juts into the ocean, and it's just a beautiful spot. So this wedding in November, they, they got married. They went out to the jetty to take some pictures. I think we might have a picture of what the jetty looks like. It's just a beautiful place. So people go out to the end. They take their wedding photos with their stuff on. It's, oh, it's just nice. So this wedding party is down at the end of the jetty, and it's starting to get dark, and they hear a commotion closer to the shore. There was another person who was not associated with the wedding who had actually fallen over the edge into the shallow water. And she injured her neck. She was unable to swim. She was maybe unconscious, and the current was starting to pull her out to ocean and she couldn't keep her head above water. The wedding party immediately saw what happened, and without even thinking about it, the best man in his tuxedo dove off of the edge of the jutty into the water, swam out to her in his tuxedo, started pulling her towards the shore. This is when it gets really interesting. The bride, in her wedding gown, she's a registered nurse. She jumps over the side into the water, starts swimming with them. When they get to the shore, she starts doing CPR till the rescue crew gets there. So there's the wedding party. They're all drenched, standing there around this woman. The, the rescue, the ambulance crew gets there, and they're like, 
This woman owes you a debt of gratitude. She'd be dead right now had you not done what you'd done. Everybody was happy about that. Of course, how could you not be happy? And after they made sure she was okay, they went back to their celebration drenched. But man, what a feeling of fulfillment would you have? That's exactly why we're here. That's exactly what our church is to do. We don't, we are the bride of Christ. Yes, we come together in our nice clothes to celebrate each week. But we can't ever be afraid to get out there, to get where people are far from God. They assume that God's mad at them or he's disappointed in them or that he doesn't even exist. And we go out where they are and we pull them in. And then once they say, yes, I'm ready to commit to God, then we invite them to turn around and also invite other people to come in. That's why we're here. We don't ever want to forget that we're here to connect disconnected people to God and to each other through Jesus Christ. That's our purpose. And I can't tell you how excited I am about the next four weeks in our church's life because we are entering a new phase in our church's life, a new season, and we get to see even more how we can live this out into the next two years and beyond in our church's existence. I, I love this picture of cannonball, the, the, the idea of what we're going through in the next four weeks and really the next two years. Because when you do a cannonball, have you ever done a cannonball into the pool before? Are any of you brave enough to do that? Have anybody done it off the high dive? Cannonball, do you do that halfway? Do you just stick your little toesies in the water to see what? No, no, if you get to the edge and you go all in, you fully commit to that thing. And you know it may not end well. I may belly flop, but I'm going to get both my knees up there because I'm going to make the hugest splash, and I want the ripples to go out, and I want the water to go over the edge of the pool, or I want the water to reach all the way to the shore. And you go all in. I love that idea as our church fulfills our purpose and our mission that we say we are so committed to being God's ambassadors and his messengers that we'll just go all in with our lives to make this huge impact in our church, in our community, and even in our world. And so this is really exciting stuff. If you're here for the first time or you've been just for a few weeks, you're like, what is up with this? Just let me, let me give you a little bit of background, a little bit of history, or maybe remind all of us where we've come from. Several years ago, Harvester Christian Church set us up as a campus of Harvester. We were the south campus of Harvester Christian Church. Harvester is in St. Charles. They said, we want to reach out to this area of Darden Prairie, southern O'Fallon. So we call this the south campus. And you go and you do what Harvester's doing for so many years. Reach people for Jesus Christ. Go do that. And as we grew over the years and as we matured and developed as a campus, two years ago, the leadership at Harvester and the leadership here, we came to the idea that we think it's time that we become an independent, autonomous Christian church. We're not a campus anymore. So we began a two-year process whereby we would become an independent Christian church. We chose the name Connection Christian Church because it embodies our purpose. I want to tell you, we are less than two months away from completing that process, a very healthy process, and it's gone very well. And so we're poised at the edge of a new season in our life, in our church's life, and the picture I have in my mind is like we're, little, we're like a little kid bouncing on the end of the diving board, ready, just poised to spring into the next phase of our existence. Will we go in halfway or will we go all in and make a, an impact that just sends out ripples for years to come? Friday night, as Brian was talking about, we had this vision dinner. If you weren't there, I'm sorry you missed it because it was awesome. I just loved the things that we talked about. I loved seeing everybody enjoying each other's fellowship and company. It was great. Um, we talked about some things that we want to do, some big, bold objectives that we want to tackle in the next two years as a church together in order to make this kind of an impact through our purpose. Now, I, I don't want to patronize anybody. If you were there Friday night, I'm not suggesting that you don't remember these till now, but I want to repeat some of these because I want us all to make sure we know what we're thinking about for the next two years and beyond. 
So let me just go through, through some of our goals for the next two years that we want to accomplish as a church together. Let's talk about our children's ministry here in our church, first of all. If you um, have kids, you've been down the hall, you know that it's a great place. It's Lisa and her team have a great children's ministry. It's exciting, it's fun, well-trained volunteers. They're passionate, they love Jesus, they love the kids. Uh, if you've also been down there and you have kids in there, you know that our nursery, preschool, toddler classroom is getting pretty full. They're in theater 10, and some Sundays it's really loud and it's really packed in there. We need to do something about that. Uh, we got several ideas on the table. You all can quit having kids. Yeah, Kirsten and I are going to do our part on that. It's not happening. We've got babies on the way. That's, that's not a good idea. You know, we could stand at the door and just tell families with children, sorry, no moss. Yeah, that's really going to help us fulfill our purpose as a church, right? Yeah, you're not welcome if you have children. No, that's not. Or if you look down the hall, we have theater 10 and 11 for our children. Let's just add theater 9. We can do that. By the end of April, in fact, we want to be able to add that theater. You know what else that will do for us? It'll make that such a, it's already a safe place. It'll make it even safer because there will be no need for anyone to go down that hall unless you're a parent, a teacher, or a child. We want to make that the safest place in St. Charles County for our children, and we will. So let's get that done. And not in the next two years, let's get that done in the next two months. Here's something else we want to do in our church, and that's, uh, I've already talked about this in the Thrive series last month, so I don't need to say too much about this. But we do believe that one of the great places that we experience spiritual growth is in the context of a smaller group. So over the next two years, here's the goal for us. You ready for this? 100% of us in a small group somewhere. Some of you are like, I'm in a life group. I love it. Yeah, you need to tell the people who aren't in a life group how much they're missing out. We want 100% of you in a life group, study group, some sort of group where you get into the Bible beyond Sunday morning. The other thing we want to do, we believe that God's gifted us to serve, to make the world a better place, given us talents and abilities. We want 100% of you serving somewhere in our church and in our world. So that's two more goals we've got to make a bold impact, all of us involved in group and ministry. One more thing about our church before I move out to our community. Right now, Brian, Lisa, and I, we've been, we're kind of on staff at Harvester. We're shif shifting to Connection. We have offices at Harvester Christian Church, which has been great. Honestly, it really has. It's nice to work with the staff there. It's nice to have a place that's not my house. But isn't there a little bit of disconnect that we meet in Darden Prairie on Sunday morning, but our offices are all the way over in St. Charles on Monday? Isn't there a little bit of a disconnect that we're Connection Christian Church, but our offices are at Harvester Christian Church? Isn't there a little bit of disconnect that there is no sign beyond Sunday morning that even says we exist? We need to open up an office space here in Darden Prairie or O'Fallon somewhere that's our face to the community. We need to make it a ministry center too. Not only a professional place for us to meet with each other, but a place where our band can practice and our youth group can meet and we can have large classroom settings. Yeah, we, I've been looking for all these different things that we have to find classroom space. It's out there in O'Fallon as long as you want to pay a couple hundred dollars for an hour or two. So I'm thinking this might be lucrative for us. Once we've got space, we can rent our space out and undercut the Y or the Renaud Spirit Center. We need to get a ministry center office space open by the end of the summer. Our face to the community. Let's talk about making an impact in our community, speaking of that. We've had some things, great things come about that are starting to emerge in our church. Our cancer ministry is starting to gain traction. We need to see that continue to go and get bigger. Our outreach team's got a great idea for the car care clinic. If you haven't heard about this yet, this is something where they want to do something for like simple maintenance, maybe a free oil change for widows, for single moms. We really need to get behind that and see that go. I don't know if you uh, realize this, if you were to put a stick pin on our, our theater right here and draw a five-mile circle on the map, do you know how many homes would be in that small circle? Some of you do because you were there Friday night. There are 40,000 homes. 
If you come in and just do like a three-minute walk to the theater here, there's like 18,000 homes. That's not people. That's just homes. Now, think about all the people who live in all those neighborhoods. How many of those people do you think even know that Connection Christian Church is here? If they don't come to the theater on Sunday morning, how would they know? They could Google us, maybe. We need to do some very specific things, for lack of a better term, marketing or advertising, to get the word out to people that, hey, we're here. We would love for you to come if you don't have a church family. You'll fit right in. We'd love for you to be a part of this. We need to make an impact in our community. Uh, let me just talk briefly about making a global impact. We can't just believe that God cares about us right here and then no one else. God so loved the whole world, not just us. We want to partner with missions that are going all over the world to share the message of Christ, to connect people everywhere in the world to God and to each other through Jesus Christ. We've started that process. We've done it the whole time we've been harvester through all the harvester missions. We've supported House of Hope Orphanage in Haiti. We've supported through your Operation Christmas Child Shoeboxes and Mercy Ministries. We are now, have just as a church, selected our first min- mission partner. As Connection Christian Church, we've talked to Paul and Stacy Leonard. They were here last month to speak to us. They are our first missions partner, first of hopefully many, as we want to take our, our giving and be generous with missions all over the world. They're going to Turkey right before Easter next month. Do you know that over 99% of the people in Turkey are not Christian? Over 99% of them don't call Jesus Lord and Savior. That's going to change because Paul and Stacy are going there to help plant churches. My dream, and I think this is going to be a reality, is that someday we're going to be in heaven, and there's going to be people who look us up who are from Turkey and going to say, hey, are you guys from Connection Christian Church? I just want to say thank you because, you know, the support and the generosity you gave, I became a Christian because of Paul and Stacy Leonard. And I'm in heaven now because you guys were willing to be generous, so thank you. I believe that's going to happen. Let's talk about one last thing. Not only making an impact in our church and in our community and globally, let's talk about an impact for years to come. Meeting in this theater is good. It works. I like it. There's lots of parking. This, the seating is probably way too comfortable. So you know, Yeah, I know. It's a little warm in here too. <laughs> talk fast, Brian. I'm losing you. This theater is working for, but it's a short-term solution. I don't see us being here 10 years from now, right? We need to start the process of purchasing land and building a building. Here's the vision and the dream. It's a big, bold objective, but within two springs, we need to be standing, all of us, on the land that we've purchased, praying right on the spot where we're going to build our building. Two years from now, if not sooner, all of us are in a prayer circle, along with the people who've come in the meantime, and we're praying for the place where we're going to put our building because we've already bought that land. That can happen. It will, again, this is not because we want to build a building. This is not because we want people to know who we are. We don't want to be famous. What we want to do is fulfill our purpose of connecting people to God and each other through Jesus Christ. And we believe doing these things is something God is calling on us to do over the next two years. I would not stand up here and ask you to do these things if I did not believe God has already asked us to do it. We've been praying for a long time about this, folks. I'm not just waking up one morning going, hey, I know, let's do this and let's do this. I would not jump off the temple and then ask God to catch me. I'm only willing to go where God is saying, I want you to go here. But I'm willing, and I hope you're willing to step out in faith and say, I'm going to believe what God said, and I'm going to act on what he's asking me to do because he's promised me a good outcome. So we're moving into a territory of faith here. What we're asking to accomplish here and what God is asking us to accomplish is more than we can do on our own. In fact, if, you, if you're like, just give me the bottom line, Brian. Give me the dollars and cents of this. 
in the next few weeks, we're not going to ask God to do a miracle for us. We're asking him to do a miracle through us. Our cannonball goal to do all these objectives over the next two years is to raise $1 million over the next two years to make all of this a reality, to get the additional theater space, get a ministry center open, support global missions, make an impact in our community, purchase land, $1 million over the next two years. I'll, I'll break that down for you in a minute, but I think just to be fair, I understand when you start talking about money in church, uh, like all kinds of red flags start going up for people. So I just want to, can we just acknowledge that for some people, money in church is a little sticky matter. And, and some of you, you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> yeah, I've only been here like a few weeks and apparently this is one of those kind of churches. You know, or you're one of those kind of pastors. I bet you're like, your payment's due on your condo down in Destin. And I'm like, no, that is not true at all. My condo's in Boulder, Colorado. I don't know what you people are talking about. I'm not that guy. Ask anybody who has known me a while, man. My last car was my Honda Civic that I drove for 18 years almost into the ground, and then I handed it off to my good friend Tim Rice to finish the job for me. I'm not that guy, and this is not that true. I understand there's been a lot of churches out there who've done goofy things with money, so I understand if you're skeptical, but just please understand this is not that place. We're not those people. I know some of you are like, you're uncomfortable because you're thinking like, a million dollars, man, in this economy? Really? I'm like, I love Jesus, and I really believe in what you're talking about, but I just don't see it happening in the way my, the state of my finances, I'm like hanging on by my fingernails. Yeah. I hear you. Believe me, I do. I know that life is rough for a lot of people. And if you're like at that point where you're going, mm, this or eat, make your need known. Maybe this is the time for the church to be the church for you. If you really have a legitimate hardship, just let it be known. We love you. We care about you. This is not about what we can get from you. I mean, this is what we want to see God do for us and through us. So please don't hear me as saying God's not going to love you if you can't do something here. And the great thing about biblical generosity is it's not like God looks at the amount and says, I love him more because he wrote the check for more. God looks at how much you've got left after you gave. He looks at the sacrifice. And honestly, all of us are not going to be able to make equal gifts, but we can all make an equal sacrifice, can't we? But I'm not even asking you to do anything today. I'm just asking you to, to hear where we're going. And then you can pray about whether God wants you to be a part of it. I want to talk just a little bit more about what this goal looks like. But I'll, I'll really, in the weeks to come, we'll talk more about it. But some of you, you're like, I like it. I just don't know if a million dollars is a lot or a little. I just don't have any context. So let me just put it this way. If we as a church are making a goal of $1 million over the next two years, that's everything. That's our operating budget now. It's our additional things we want to take in over the next two years. It's, it's what we want to do for property. It's everything, $500,000 a year for the next two years. If we did nothing different than what we're doing right now, if we just continue to give at our current levels, we're giving more than half of our $1 million goal right now. If you take two years of our offering and project it over the next two years, it's somewhere between $550,000, 575 so what we're saying, if you want to talk of in terms of over and beyond what we're already doing, we're looking at about four twenty-five, four hundred fifty thousand dollars above what we're doing. Is that a lot? Yes. It's not a feeble or a weak goal that we could easily accomplish with no additional sacrifice on our part. At the same time, this is not like some outlandish goal that's going to require me to win the lottery to make this happen either. So you don't need to be playing lotto or scratchers to do this. This is a God-sized thing, but it is certainly within the realm of reasonable. And uh, I want you to know our elders and I, we've been praying about this for a long time. We had a lot more soak time on this to think about where we're going and what we want to do. And as I said, I'm not interested in jumping in unless the Lord's leading us there, and I think he is. And so he's calling on us to do something very simple, just to trust him. 
and say, are you willing to go in on this? Are you willing to fulfill your purpose in this place and at this time? And see, I look at this, and I just got to ask you, not to say anything today, but are you willing to at least think about the idea of engaging in this process over the next four weeks? Are you willing to think about, am I willing to maybe consider making an impact with my life over the next two years? Am I willing to be impacted by God over the next two years? As I think about this, I know that we can do this with God's help, but I know that we can't do this if only a few of us take the plunge. It's going to take all of us going all in, and then something great can happen. And here's something I know about you, whether I've met you or not, I know this is true. You cannot get where you need to be unless you are willing to go all in with God. And so what we're trying to do over the next four weeks is just to simply say to God, what do you want me to do? What part do you want me to play in this? And if it's scary, it's likely that it is God telling you what he wants you to do. I look at our church and I think God has put us here for a reason. We are the people that he's chosen to use in this place and at this time. And here's what else I know. If we don't get the job done, he will give the job to someone else who will. But I don't want that, and I don't believe that's going to be necessary. I believe that we have been faithful in the past, and I believe that it's going to be in the future, that God's going to be able to use us to do great things. So as we close this out, I want to invite you to do something. In your worship folder, there's a, a little acrostic. You think, well, how do I kind of figure out maybe what God wants me to do? I just want you to get out of the pool, climb the ladder, get to the edge, and ready to jump. And we're going to use jump as an acrostic to kind of talk about what you can do to think through this process over the next several weeks of what God might ask you to do. Now, the J stands for Jesus, just to go all in with Jesus. And this is the starting point of everything that we're talking about. This is like the first rung on the ladder. If you don't get this one, you can't come back and get it later. This is foundational to everything in your life. Every good thing is going to start with this, with Jesus. Do you have a connection with Jesus? Do you have a connection with God through Jesus Christ? The Bible says in 1 Peter 3, it says, In your heart, set apart Christ Jesus as Lord. And the question is, is he your Lord? Have you, as Romans 10 says, confessed with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord, he's my leader. You believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's the starting point. What's your relationship with, like with Jesus? Maybe for you, you would say, if you were just really honest, you'd say, I am not really here or here. I've been sitting on the fence as it comes to God for a long time. And I'm not really sure where I'm at. I'm not really there anymore. But I've never really gone all in with God either. Maybe it's time to get off the fence and just say, I'm willing to go all in with God to trust him and to follow Jesus, to make him my Lord. Maybe your first step is just to go all into the baptistry and say, I need to be immersed. It's the first thing Jesus commanded you to do as his follower. Jesus said to those who are inviting people to come to him, go make disciples of all the nations and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and teach them everything I taught you. Teach them to obey that. Have you done that? Or have you just been sitting there afraid to make the commitment? Listen, if we're going to make disciples of Jesus, we have to be a disciple of Jesus first, right? So are you right? And some, a lot of you actually, as I look around here, a lot of you are Christians. You are followers of Jesus. You have gone all in. For you, is there anything between you and God right now that you need to clear the air about? Is there anything in your life right now that just honestly doesn't belong there and you need to repent and get rid of it? Is there anything that God's been asking you to do that you've been ignoring, hoping as you hit the snooze button that he'll eventually go away on that? If we're going to go all in, the first thing we need to do is make sure we're right with God, that we're right with Jesus. Now, the question I'm asking you to contemplate here is, am I willing to put my life in God's hands? Am I willing to trust him with my life and let him choose what I do with my life? 
Now, the U stands for use of my time. Over the next two years, man, if we're going to do this, it's going to take every hand on deck. It's going to take all of us working together. We're going to need some of you who have the gift of leadership and administration to lead the charge on some of these things. Some of you have an ability to lead, and you need to be the one who leads the charge on finding the property, finding the office, getting 100% of us involved in life groups, getting us on ministry teams. Some of you have an ability to lead, and you've kind of been hiding it. We need it. Some of you need to say, look, I got a house. I'll open my house to host a life group. I'll offer to lead a group. I'll offer to lead a ministry team. Some of you just need to say, I'm going to free up some time over here so that I can use it here to, over the next two years, make this a reality. And so the question you need to ask here is, am I willing to put my calendar in God's hands? Am I willing to take my calendar out and say, well, I've got these things planned, but maybe I need to start saying no to this so that I can say yes to what God wants me to do over the next two years. Now, the M stands for money and resources. And the simple question here is, am I willing to consider freeing up some of my resources that I've committed to something so that I can instead, over the next two years, do this? Can I give up going to Starbucks every day or twice a day or whatever it is and maybe use that for the Lord instead? Are there things in my basement that I've held on to long enough and it's time just to put them on Craigslist? Is there something that I've put aside that maybe the Lord would ask me to say, you know what, I could do this, but wouldn't it be awesome if I put it toward this and people come to know the Lord instead? So just to, again, I'm not asking for anything today. I'm asking you to ask. I can't tell you what to do. I can only tell you to talk to the Lord. He'll tell you what he wants you to do, and then it's in your hands. The question really you want to ask is, do I love God more than my stuff? Jesus asked a great question, or he actually gave a great insight in Matthew chapter 6. He said, where your treasure is, there's your heart. And it cuts two ways. It's kind of a diagnostic. If you want to know what's really important in your life, look where you spend your money. Just go through Quicken and see where you're spending your money. That's what's important to you. But it's not only diagnostic, it's also prescriptive. If you realize that your heart is not really on God, all you have to do is start spending money on something, and your heart will follow. Whatever you're spending your money on, your heart will follow. So if you want to be closer to God, put your money toward God, be generous toward him, your heart will follow. So the question you want to ask here is, am I willing to do that? God doesn't need your money. I mean, he's, he's not tapped out. He doesn't need a quick loan till Friday. God doesn't need anything from us. He wants our heart. I mean, the money is easy to him. Your heart is what's hard because you hold the control of who decides who does what. You know, the door of your heart opens from the inside. You choose. God is never going to force you to do that. So that's the M. Asking God, asking yourself, am I willing to put my wallet in God's hands? And finally, as we close out, the P, your priorities. As I look at my relationship with Jesus, as I look at my use of my time, as I look at my use of my money, do I maybe need to reprioritize? Do I need to maybe shift some things around? Am I willing to think about how I use my life to make a maximum impact for God? And so the question here is simply, am I willing to put my plans in God's hands? There it is. Very simply, all I'm asking you to do here is to think about our purpose as a church, pray about it, and ask where God's leading you. This is a four-week process. It's going to be a two-year impact, and hopefully for eternity even. But we've got to ask ourselves, Am I willing to pray? Am I willing to act on what God's going to ask me to do? Am I willing to trust him? In fact, let's, uh, would you stand with me and will you pray right now with me? Father, I thank you today that 
you set these moments in our lives where we could stay comfortable, we could stay where we are, we could stay status quo, but then you invite us to do something that is bold and scary and something we think is far beyond anything we would ever do on our own. And I'll be honest with you, God, there's times you've asked me to do things I do not want to do. You've asked me to do things I didn't think I could do. Uh, and I know every time that I've stepped out and obeyed you, even though I didn't think it would go well, that it's, it's been those times that I've come closest to you. I pray that for our church family now. I pray that we all would sense that you're calling on us to do something beyond what we could do. But then, Father, you would show us as we get out there and actually do it that you're in this. And we send something miraculous because you make it happen. I pray that this would be a church where people do get connected to you. I pray that there would be people who are in heaven because of what we do now. I pray that there will be lives who are closer to you, that the people realize that you accept them and love them and want them in your family. And I pray that now, through your son Jesus Christ, you would even be working in people's hearts, even today, that people would say, today's the day I need to get right, I need to get off the fence and get with you. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as uh, Jesus spoke once 2,000 years ago, he said, if I'm lifted up, all men will be drawn to me. And for 2,000 years, people have been drawn to Jesus, and they've been saying yes to Jesus. They've been going all in for Jesus. They've been confessing his name. They've gone all into the baptistry and been immersed into Christ. I wonder if, as we talk about doing a cannonball today, if God's even speaking to some of you, and he's saying, today's the day. It's time to go all in. If there's something that you know that God is speaking in your heart right now today, find myself, Brian Heinrich, one of our elders, and talk to us. Don't walk out of here today ignoring what God's calling on you to do today.